Hi, it's David Debbie here of the David Janovic Show on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and also catch our show live on KSL News Radio. Now, you don't need a keyword to listen to us, but if you want to win the AirPods, keyword Beehive. Good job, Dave. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Janovic. Let's talk about autism. Autism in Utah is so common. One in 40 kids are born with autism that's here amazing. in Utah. Yeah, that's amazing. And these kids grow up, right? Yeah. And the other thing that's that's so interesting as we as we get better as a community talking about people's ability levels. We all have different ability levels and given pretty easy sometimes, sometimes complicated support, you just open up all different kinds of communities to being able to do anything they want. But a lot of families as you suggest in Utah are dealing with the impacts and effects of autism. And I think we've made some incredible strides over the last several years. The last decade, for sure, the investment, uh, the programs that are available, especially in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, we we allow for several extra years past their 18th birthday right. where you can stay in schooling, go, go to class. Uh, there, there are some wonderful opportunities, but at age 21, 50,000 people with autism enter adulthood every year. And then uh, another layer to this is, okay, well, then what? What happens once they're adults and they no longer have the resources of the school? Right, and the structure. And and, the structure, which is so crucial crucial for for kids with, with autism. And as they move into adulthood, what's next? And then, okay, how long do adults with autism live? Right. And and I think what we found is life expectancy is pretty on par. I mean, you know, there's always those health-related yeah. and exercise and all of that. But life expectancy, I remember I, I, I come from a household who has a, a severely disabled, my older brother is, and gosh, he was born and they said he won't live to be two years, then then a teenager, and then da da da. And he is now, I'm going to get his age wrong, but I think he's 58 or 59 years old. Yeah. And he is much more severe. So the life expectancy of people with autism is as long as any of us. So we need to have a real conversation of, okay, what are, what's the support structure look like after they're done with school, after they're 21? And what's the long-term plan? Because, uh, 872,000 autistic adults live with caregivers that are over the age of 60. Wow. That's amazing. where are the resources? Sumiko Martinez joins us right now as the director of Autism After 21. It's a Utah project. Sumiko, thank you for joining us. I think this is so fascinating. Can you describe a little bit how big of an issue it is? Uh, for adults with autism, and then specifically in finding housing. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us on to talk about this. Um, So as you mentioned, there are a lot of folks with autism and also with other intellectual and developmental disabilities who live with family caregivers. Um, And just in the state of Utah alone, 
over 32,000 folks live with a caregiver over the age of 60. And so we have a situation where um, caregivers are aging. And what is going to happen when their caregiver is no longer able to, to care for people or if they suddenly pass away? So currently um, in Utah and across the country, there is not enough supportive housing and the wait lists are years long. Um, at the family level, we can prepare for this by doing person-centered planning to ensure that individuals' housing needs will be met even after their caregivers pass away. And then also at a societal level, we need to make sure that the infrastructures in place to support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities throughout their entire lives. Give us a sense of what it is to be person-centered housing or neuro-inclusive housing. What, what does that mean? Absolutely. So neuro-inclusive housing is a relatively new concept. And what it really means is residential opportunities that are created to be financially, physically, and cognitively accessible. Um, so those three elements are really important. A, a lot of folks who have autism and other IDD um, are often economically disenfranchised. Um, some people are not able to work. Some people face employment discrimination that prevents them from working. Um, and so the financial accessibility is really important. Physical accessibility, of course, is just part of, um, you know, part of our society's ADA requirements, the Americans with Disabilities Act. But then cognitive accessibility is really a new, uh, a really new kind of idea. So when we're thinking about cognitive accessibility, we have to think about three things. The actual built environment, so the structure um, and the design of the home itself, long-term support services, you know, through the Department of um, Services for People with Disabilities, and then also supportive amenities such as community navigators or um, even things like having group events organized as part of an apartment community's life that help people to be included and immersed in the community as much as they want to be. You help publish uh, this neuro-inclusive housing market analysis. What were, we only have about a minute left, but I know there's so much in here. Was there something that stood out to you specifically? Yes. Um, I mean, the report is huge. As you mentioned, there's a ton of data in there. And if anyone's curious, um, please go go search it out on our website, neuroinclusiveutah.org. Um, but I think the thing I want people to know the most about is how do we, how do we address this problem? So data is a big piece. Um, please read the report, learn about the hard data behind it. People have you know, their needs and preferences expressed here, and now it's up to us to take this ball and run with it and make sure that we are taking care of everyone in our society. Yeah, it will be fascinating uh, to to continue this conversation. We, we definitely need to continue it because we don't speak enough about the practicality uh, of having a, ch a child that uh, that is going to need support services or care for the rest of their lives. So Sumiko, thank you so much for, for joining us. Autism After 21, Utah Project has some incredible data. I was, I'd was i gone through uh, a, a chunk of it, and I it, it really opened my eyes, Mara, to the problem uh, that, that many 
families are dealing with right now is they're the caregivers, the moms and right. dads out there are no longer uh, able to because they're they're too old or right. they're unhealthy and they can't take care of these kids. And this is an area where a little education and a little conscientiousness and a little more resources make huge gains for, as you suggest, what could end up being one in four Utahns. And uh, government support will obviously uh, be, be an important part of it. Nonprofits will play a role. Uh, so I think looking into this even deeper is absolutely uh, crucial.